0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the Gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning. It is a good morning, yeah? Amen. I love, I love celebrating baptism like we just have this morning. It's a beautiful declaration, both personally and publicly. Of the kingship of Jesus in our lives, of our loyalty and our allegiance to Him, and at the same time of our kinship to each other, because when you turn to Jesus, you receive family. And I love that this morning. We get to celebrate that. Acts 2, we've been studying, it says, It's for all who God calls to Himself. Everyone who turns from the path they're on on their own, they turn and they face Jesus and say, I follow you. And they receive from Him by faith, life, and forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of what we've been studying. And baptism is this it's this picture of a new identity. Because salvation isn't just something that happens inside us, it's just for me. It's not something that's just like a little part of my life. And inside of me, there's a little change, but it's a change of me. It's a change of who I am. In Jesus, I have died. The old me has disappeared. He's been buried, he's gone. And there's a new identity with a new capacity. And my heart is in alignment with God's heart and his purpose, and I receive from him a life. I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of his kingdom, and I receive the Holy Spirit to guide me and help me in all of my days. And this act that we just witnessed here is an identifying mark of that. It's us saying, that's who I am now. Just how Jesus was, he died and he was buried and he raised and it revealed his true identity, that he's the eternal son of God. He's the king of kings and death couldn't hold our king. I'm with him and the guy I was, he's buried, he's gone. I've raised and I've been given a new life, a new identity, a new capacity. And it's a beautiful new life I walk in where I'm never alone. And that's how the church began. That's what we've been reading about in Acts 2. There's this movement of the Holy Spirit. He comes upon the people of God. Peter begins to speak about Jesus and 3,000 people are cut to the heart They hear the truth of Jesus because the Holy Spirit moves in their minds and their hearts and they face him and they say, I want you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And the path that I've been on has never satisfied me. It's never been enough. But all that you are and all that you do, I need, I need in my life. And they turn to him and it says that 3,000 people were baptized in the church of Jesus Christ was born. And that's the church we're a part of right now. We are a part of that same church that we've learned about the last couple of weeks. And it may look different or feel different, sometimes feel disconnected from that ancient group of people who were gathered on the day of Pentecost. We've made missteps along the ways. We've been distracted at times. We've faced challenges. But remember Jesus in in Matthew 16 to Peter said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing, nothing will stop the plan of God. For his people, And Jesus is doing that today. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still building his church. And that's the thing that you and I are a part of today. Isn't that awesome? That we are a part of that same thing. And I showed you this a couple of years ago. And, and I think it's good to bring out and remind ourselves once in a while. And if you grew up in church, if you're like really, really church kid, then you remember this. Remember you lock your fingers like this and say, this is the church. Remember that? You want to do it with me? So interlock your fingers if you don't know. And you turn it over like this. Kids, you got me? Lock them like this and turn it over. I'll say it and then you repeat it. You go, this is the church. And you say, this is the steeple. And you open the doors and see all the people. Yeah, and I love the, the pastor, he did this. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors, see all the people. And he said, isn't that a cute little heresy? And I, and I love it because, like, he's dead on right. If we're accurate, if we're really telling the truth... We'd say, this is the building, and this is the outdated architectural symbol. <laughs> Open the doors. This is the church, right? Am I right? This is the thing that we've been talking about. The church isn't a building. It's not a place. It's a movement of people. It's a movement of people who've been swept into the heart of God and the plan of God for his people. It's a movement. And so many people have lost sight of that. We have sometimes forgotten that. Maybe, maybe you have forgotten that at times, and church has become for you a place that you go to or an event that you sit through. But from the beginning, the church was never a building. It was never a program. It was never a a system or a process. It was a movement of people who were swept up into the heart of God and gathered around Jesus and around his mission or his purpose. And it's important for you to understand this. The mission came first and the gathering of the church came second. You look at it in Acts, Acts 1, the mission of God is spoken and it's Acts 2 before the church comes together. And I love this quote from Chris Wright. It's an important one. He said, It's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. Like God said, I think they're going to get bored. I need to give them something to do so they don't get distracted and they don't fall away. I'll come up with some activities for them. It's not so much that the, the mission was made for the church, but the church was made for his mission. God has a mission. And he called people into the mission. And as we came along and we said, oh, I want to be where God is. I want to see grace and healing come into the world. I want to see people meet Jesus. He made a church, a gathering of people who would come together and do that as a pursuit together. And that's what we'll talk about over the next four weeks. We're going to keep moving through Acts throughout the year. And every once in a while we'll just kind of pivot. We'll turn a little bit. And what we've been looking at for the last four weeks is how the end of Jesus' earthbound ministry was the beginning of the church age. The end was the beginning where the Holy Spirit was unleashed on his people. And now we're going to begin to see that movement of the church begin to move. And what it looked like when the movement took place. And even more than the activities of the church, what I want you to see is the qualities and the characteristics that drove the church the underlying things that were within the people of God that made the movement move. So grab your Bible, turn to Acts 2, and we will pick up right where we left off last week, Acts 2, now in verse 42 through 47. And if you are like really churchy McChurcherson, then right now you go Acts 2, 42, I know all about that one because that's one of the big ones that pastors love to preach on. And it's kind of funny. Like how much I have spent time teaching this same, just six verses over and over again. Over the last 20 years, this is probably one of the top five most preached passages I've ever used. And probably if you've heard anyone else teach it, they've taught it similarly to the way I teach it often, where you look at it and you say, well, this is how you do church. It's it's basically a primer on how to do church. And a pastor will say, you need to be an Acts 2 church. If you're going to be an Acts 2 church, what you need to do is you need to do these things. Repeat these things over and over again. But if we think about it, that's not at all what Luke's intent was when he wrote this, was it? Luke wasn't writing to churches or to a church or to even pastors to say this is how to do church. He was writing to one guy, a guy named Theophilus, who was really curious about the Christian movement. And his purpose was to write about what happened when Jesus ascended, when the Holy Spirit descended, And the presence and the power of God began to really move among the people of God. And what kind of people people become when they encounter God in the fullness of His power in their life. What that looks like. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we read the text this morning. He's not writing to churches to tell them how to be an Acts 2 church. There is no such thing yet, right? He's talking about what did it look like when the Holy Spirit began to move among the people. This is what it looked like. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's Word. And typically... I'd read that, and I'd say, okay, now what we've just read shows you the five functions of the church that you are to do, and we should get really good at doing these things. The five purposes of the church, worship, fellowship, evangelism, uh, ministry, and discipleship, and books have been written about it. Maybe you've read some of those books. Um, One, James White said, these five activities here constitute the business of the church. It constitutes the purpose of the church. It's what a biblically functioning community looks like. It's just what the church does. And I'm not saying he's wrong, and I'm not saying that that's not, not true in some state, but it's not here the command of the text. In this text, Luke is not commanding that the church come together and do these things. There are other New Testament passages that tell the church, these are things that you should devote yourself to, but this passage isn't prescriptive. It's what? It's descriptive. We talked about this last week. This isn't prescriptive. It's descriptive. It just says this is what the church was about. This is Theophilus, this is what the church was like. This is what was moving them. This is what was bubbling inside of their hearts and inside of their lives, and it's what drove them. And so rather than the activities themselves, what I want you to really focus on this morning is the underlying quality that existed in the people of Jesus from the beginning that made them a movement that moved. And there's really two big things, if I can put it in buckets, two big things, two qualities that existed within the early church within their lives, within their their inner life. And it was true of the community that drove them, that moved them to be continually devoted to these kinds of things in such a way that it was intriguing to society around them. People looked in and were like, this is is curious. In fact, it said it was so curious that people were going, I kind of love what I'm seeing here. They're finding favor among the people, and the Lord kept growing the church through it. So two big qualities I want you to see and just lift them off the page. The first is this. the the people were absolutely Spirit-filled and and Spirit-led. They were absolutely fully led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they should. Remember, Jesus told His followers to wait on the Holy Spirit. The first few disciples, the small group that was gathered, He said, don't go and start doing church stuff yet. Don't run off and start doing things yet. Just stop Here and wait in Jerusalem on the Holy Spirit to come. He's the mover, and when he comes, when he arrives, then he will move you to do what needs to be done. So they did that. The first Christians, they stopped and they waited in Jerusalem, and for 10 days they committed themselves to prayer, hungry prayer for the Spirit of God to fall upon them, that they could be be inhabited by the Holy Spirit and begin to walk in the way of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. We looked at this the last two weeks. The Holy Spirit comes, and like the power of God kind of stuff begins to happen, Peter begins to speak about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit moves, people are cut to the heart, the church is born, and, and this is exactly what Jesus said would happen in, in Acts 1-8. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, power like dynamite will come, and, and because He is working through your life, incredible witness will be told from here here. Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. I will build my church. And now suddenly the movement is 3,000 people. It was 120 in Acts 1, 15, and now suddenly it's plus 3,000. Like 3,120 people are gathered. And they, they're from all over. They had come in from all over for the day of harvest for Pentecost. They're from different communities. They have different ethnicities. They have different mother tongue languages. And they've come together, and they've all fallen at the feet of Jesus. And no one has preached a sermon about how to do church. There's been no book written, Five Steps for Healthy Churches and How to Grow Them. They don't know any of this stuff, but what they're doing and what we're reading in, in this passage is just the overflow of them receiving the Holy Spirit and believing the message of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Remember, I told you like three weeks ago, they were captivated by the message of Jesus Christ. They weren't just interested It wasn't just a good story or something that was a little hopeful for them, but their lives were absolutely swallowed up by the message of Jesus. It changed everything for them. And they received the Holy Spirit, and they said, I give leadership of my entire life to the Holy Spirit. You lead me. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. You will help me to see the right way to go. You will help me to do the things that God has called me to do. You will help me to be the person that God has invited me to be. They were yielded to the Holy Spirit and captivated by the message. And this is exactly what God said would happen. It's the very thing that Jesus told the disciples would happen when the Holy Spirit came. God intended for this, that Spirit-filled and Spirit-led people would build His kingdom, that Spirit-filled and Spirit-led people would advance His message and the ministry of Jesus where they live, where they work, where they play, and everywhere they go to the ends of the earth. And if you begin reading through Acts, as we will over the next you know, several months, you, you look at these people and they are absolutely convinced that they are not on their own. They are, Absolutely convinced that the Spirit of God is on them. The Spirit of God is working in them and through them. And you read later, Paul the Apostle writes about when they would come together, as we come together today, that everyone came with a psalm, a hymn, a prayer, a praise, because they were convinced that they came to be used by God. They expected not to to come and receive but to give. They didn't come to get. They came to give to the church, to one another. They walked around expecting the Spirit of God is upon me. He is my helper. He is leading me. And wherever I go, he's going to use me to demonstrate God's goodness, his care, his provision, his healing into the lives of those people all around me in the world. Where I go and when when I gather with the church. And I wonder how many of us walk around in our daily life with that kind of expectation. Where we are just so absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit is with us. We're not on our own. Remember when we looked at Corinthians last week? Don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? The Holy Spirit lies within you. You are not your own. Don't you know this? I wonder how many of us walk around with such confidence in the Spirit's provision and presence and power in our life that we expect that He's going to be doing things through our life for others each day. What do you... What do you expect from God? Do you you expect that He's just going to help you make it from Monday to Friday, that He's going to help you make it from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. so you can lay down back in the bed and and try to get over what you went through through the day? Is it just a little comfort you're hoping to receive from God? What do you expect when you come together with believers? Do you expect to come here so you can get your Jesus juice and go out and have some fun this week and, and feel a little better about the problems that you have to face? Is it that you expect to meet with God and and hear a sermon and hear some good music? Or or do you come in full of the Spirit, ready to bless others, ready to serve others, ready to be used by God to change the lives of the people around you, and then leave filled again with the Spirit to go out and bless those that you encounter where you work, live, and play? Do you come to receive and say, see you later next week? Or do you come ready to to blow people away because the Holy Spirit works through you and leave ready to do the same? Verse 43 says they kept feeling a sense of awe. Right? Look at verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe because they believed the Holy Spirit is with me and he's working in my life and he wants to work through my life. In in other words, when the, the presence of God is here, there's a hushed silence and everyone is just observing and going, whoa, God is here. And think about this, even like a, a human who's a little bit famous walks in the room, we're all going to go, whoa, do you see, do you see look, look, look what they're doing, do you see, they're drinking water just like I drink water, you know, and we're going to be amazed, we're going to be in awe that this person has walked in the room. They, knowing the presence of God was with them, they kept feeling a sense of awe, they weren't so busy and so noisy that they missed it. And, and I wonder for us how many of us walk through our lives so with so much noise and And so much busy activity that we just miss the presence and the power of God on a daily basis, minute by minute, day by day, week by week. Or how many of us walk, you, me, our church, we walk in such a way that we could be defined in this way, that we kept feeling a sense of awe. Is that how someone would describe our church? They kept feeling a sense of awe. And verse 43 says, And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And they had seen some miracles already. They saw, we know, the the speaking miracle, where these apostles who didn't know all of these different languages suddenly were speaking in all of these different languages that they had never gone to school to learn. And so people from all over are hearing them. And man, it's articulate, the, the accent's on point, and they can hear in their mother tongue the message of Christ. And it's a miracle. They had seen the miracle where these people from all over the place who might have some things in common but a lot of things that would grate against one another, they come and they all throw their lives down at the feet of Jesus and they turn to him and receive from him life, receive from him each other. They receive everything in him. They'd seen the miracle. They probably heard miracles about Jesus. Some of them maybe had heard of the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe some other one heard the time where he healed a guy who was, was blind or when he healed a person with leprosy. Or he healed a woman who had a chronic disorder. Maybe they had heard the story, did you hear about Jesus walking on water? Did he really do it? I heard he did it, right? They had heard some of the miracles. Maybe they heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And certainly they had heard Peter's sermon where Jesus raised from the dead. They heard of his miracles. And they believed he wasn't done doing miracles. Remember Acts 1-1 said all of the things that we read about in the gospel was the stuff that Jesus did before He ascended, but He's not done doing. It's just what He began to do. And He's still working. He's still doing. He's still teaching. He's still calling. He's working Spirit-empowered miracles through His people on earth. That's what Jesus is doing today. And they're seeing it. Signs and wonders. There is a supernatural streak that runs through the church when we really live by the Spirit. Have you... Have you ever heard someone explain something that happened in their life by saying something like, I have no idea how it happened, except God. Have you said that before? There's a family in our church, the Blaine family, and Trey and Kimberly told me I could share this with you. Um, She's gone through so many difficult medical issues over the last few years, a lot of scary surgeries and most recently, she had tumors on her spine that were giving her debilitating pain and creating just havoc on her body and their family. And she had surgery. And after the surgery, as much hope as we had, uh, the doctor said, we weren't able to get everything out. I'm sorry, there was other damage we could do and, and there's, still, there's still tumors there. And they were brokenhearted, like you would be, and, and wondering, you know, what is the purpose in this and where is this heading? And every story didn't turn out this way, but a month later, they went back for a follow-up visit, and she got a scan, and the doctors were dumbfounded. They said, you're clear. There's, there's nothing there, and I don't, know, I don't know how it happened or why. And Trey said to me, he goes, oh, I know. <laughs> God showed mercy on my family. Amen. God showed mercy on, on my wife and it's it's not that we should expect that there will never be trouble and every time we have a cough that God will just eradicate it no we can depend on God's everyday mercies but it's that God can do incredible miracles in this day just as he did in that day and the way God demonstrates his grace and his mercy in our lives may blow us away if we would trust him for it it may and i want you to consider this jesus said i'll have many troubles and you'll have many troubles in this world as long as you live in it but i've overcome the world is a promise to you that you will never be left in the chaos. And there is an ultimate day where he returns for his people. And it says, There's no more tumor on your spine. There is no more cough in your throat. There's no more disorder or disease or any tear or any reason to have anxiety whatsoever because I'll be making all things new. And all of the things that plagued you through the broken world will be gone forever. That's the ultimate, ultimate promise for us. But even in these days, he's working miracles. You think about this text, and you think about what's taking place at Pentecost. You think about these people coming in from all over the place, and suddenly they are all in agreement with one another. That's a miracle, isn't it? Right? Like, like we live in the same kind of community, and a lot of us may have some different backgrounds, but we're living by some of the same rules in this country, in this day, in this age. But we don't ag- agree on a lot of things. It's a miracle that we're all sitting here right now, isn't it? And loving one another. And the unity that's experienced by this church that was experienced by that church, that's a miracle of God, is it not? Absolutely it is. This too, that the church would come together, is a miracle in in and of itself. They're signs of the real power of God. They're wonders of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Signs and wonders are taking place at this second. Amen? Amen. So one of the, the qualities of of this early church that made them so mystifyingly beautiful to the community around them is that they were spirit-filled and spirit-led people. And they weren't so noisy and so busy that they were missing the presence and the power of God in the moment. They were taking place, they were taking part in the place of signs and wonders. They were acknowledging the presence of God and praising Him because He was working in their midst in their day. But there's a second quality I want you to see here. They were not just not just spirit filled and spirit led, but they were deeply devoted as a people. Verse 42 says this. Look at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to. We'll get into the dots in a minute. They were continually devoting themselves to these things. And that phrase in the original language is just one word, and it means steadfast, it means dedicated, it means persistent. It doesn't mean that it came easy for them. It doesn't mean that they got it perfect all the time. But it means that they were fighting through for these things with great desire, that they were obsessed. They became obsessed about these things. And what were the things? Look at verse 42. They were obsessed about the apostles' teaching, the word of God being declared to them. They were obsessed with fellowshipping with one another, sharing their lives together. They were obsessed with the breaking of bread. They were obsessed with prayer. They were obsessed with incredible generosity. They were sharing with all, selling their possessions, going, it's not mine, it's ours. And they were giving to all as anyone had need. And no one begged them to do this. No one forced them to do this. No one guilted them to do these things. There wasn't a book that said, now you're the church, step one, start doing this stuff. This was just the natural overflow of their hearts. The message of the gospel had welled up in them. The Spirit of God was leading their life captivated by the message, yielded to the Spirit, this just burst out of them. I'm obsessed with these things. God had come to earth to rescue and save them, and so they devoted themselves to hearing the words of God like their lives depended upon it. God had given himself to them, so they gave themselves to each other. God gave himself to me, so I'm going to give my life away to the people of God and to the people of my community. And that has got to be like one of the hardest things that they could ever have considered doing in a relationship. We're always thinking about what can I get, aren't we? In marriage, in parenting, and with our, our, the sort of schools that we go to and where we go to work and when we come to church, all the things that we do, we're always thinking about what will I, what will I get out of this? What will I receive from this? Is this good for me? Do I like it? Is it satisfying to me? They were coming together, and they weren't consumed with, is this going to be good for me when I show up? They were consumed with what they're putting into the relationship. Isn't that a game changer in your marriage? Isn't that a a game changer at work when you show up and you're not like, what are you all going to do for me? You go, I'm here. I'm going to bless the heck out of you. I'm going to knock your socks off with my goodness and grace today. Just wait. I can't wait to pour out love on you today. It's a game changer. It's got to be the hardest thing in any relationship. It's the hardest thing in church relationship as well to get over ourselves and our desire to say, I'm here for me, right? But because God had given himself to them, they were like, I can't wait to give myself to these. God had given them his own son to love them and sacrifice for them and do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. So they were devoted, they were obsessed with the breaking of bread, and this isn't like ordering pizza or doing potluck, they did that too. Verse 46 says they were taking their meals together, but this is talking about the communion meal. It's talking about the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which is a symbol, it's a meal, it's an ordinance of the church that says, my life belongs in Christ's life. Who I am belongs with Him, and it's something that they would do together, saying our life together is found in Christ. Because he came and did for us what we couldn't do. And when we turned to him, he gave us himself and he gave us each other. They were devoted to breaking bread together. God had given the the Holy Spirit. He'd made them promises that the Holy Spirit would use them in powerful ways. And so they prayed urgently, expecting that God would use them in powerful ways. They were praying for it. They were devoted to it. And God had given them a joy in the Holy Spirit being with them, being in them, using them in such a way that they had so much more joy in being used by God through the power of the Holy Spirit that it overshadowed the chasing of wealth and the chasing and accumulation of things on earth. They were like, this stuff really doesn't give me the joy that this stuff gives me. And so they had gladness just to give this stuff away. This stuff didn't matter as much to them anymore because they had something so much richer in their lives. And I wonder if you've ever thought about this. I've realized this in my own life. Have you noticed have you noticed that sometimes we struggle with being generous because the things that we are supposed to be giving away are so often the things that we're worshiping? Have you noticed that whether it's time or whether it's money or whether it's your, your resources or your gifts or your talents or, or your ambitions or your goals, the things that we're intended to give away, so often we struggle to give them away with gladness and sincerity because they become the things that we, that we worship. And these people, they seemed to have their worship in order because their worship was was in order. They were free and they were glad to give away their lives generously for others. I want you to see what came of this, what came of a people who were spirit-filled, spirit-led, who were devoted, devoted to these things, not because it was work to pursue, but because it burst forth from them because of what God was doing in them, in their lives. It says they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I want you to notice that that number day by day who were being added saved in verse 47, they're not happening because there were great church services, uh, great sermons, great programs, great outreach programs taking place. The 3,000 came the day that Peter preached, but the day by day those who were being saved because the church was, was living in faith, they were loving and giving and serving and praying out there where real life happens. They were gathering in houses day by day, and it was beautiful and it was mysterious and it was transformative. People were going, Whoa! And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. Everyone, everywhere, all the time, all going out there together with one mind, and the world was blown away by it. I, I heard. Um, Pastor Francis Chan talking one time about this and he said, when is the last time that you gathered with a group of believers and there was such a supernatural bond about you that if an unbeliever walked in, they would just go, what is this? I've never seen love like this. Forgiveness like this. I've never seen character like this. Generosity like this, because the Bible says this is the thing that's supposed to be so attractive to the world. It's not a, a great speaker or a really talented band or a children's program or a youth program or or some kind of system of, of outreach or marketing, church marketing into the world that's supposed to be so attractive to the world. It's unbelievers coming in, seeing our lives together, and when we go and going, man, I've never seen unity like this. Our world is so stripped of of goodness and and so ripped apart and divided by every little thing. How is it that these people come together and have such peace? They've got peace. They're going through hard stuff, but they seem to be okay. They don't feel okay, but they're really deeply, soulfully okay. How is this? It's amazing. And I want some of that. And they were finding favor among the people. And the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. About a de- decade ago, uh, Dave Kinnaman wrote a book called Unchristian, and he did a bunch of surveys, and in the surveys, uh, 84% of people he surveyed said they know at least one committed Christian. 84%, they know at least one committed Christian. Committed, key word there. But just 15% think the lifestyles of those Christians are significantly different from the norm. 84% say they know someone who says they're a committed Christian. Yeah, this person's a committed Christian but only 15% feel like that person really has a distinct and unique life that's different from the norm. I think it's painful for us to look in the mirror sometimes. It's painful for us to look in the mirror sometimes and and see that rather than being continually devoted to certain things, because there's such an incredible joy and satisfaction in the gospel of Jesus Christ and such a life of power given by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, that's transforming us and everywhere we go, there's transformation in our wake. That for a lot of church people, it's kind of hard, kind of painful to think about. For a lot of church people, it's, it's a little more like, you know, if, if I don't have tournaments and there's not a lot of going on at work that keeps me up late at night this week and if i am got enough sleep and the weather's not too hot and not too cold, but you know, kind of in the middle, not too wet or not too dry, just right. if I feel good, but not too good. If I feel too good, I'm going to brunch because there's a patio that I need to hit this, this, on this day. But if I feel too bad, I don't want to get out of bed. I'd just rather lay, lay around and, and just, you know, catch up on me time. So just like kind of good. Good enough to get dressed and get out, but not so good that I go have a great time. Just an okay time is what I'm looking for. And if I hadn't been on social media and seen some things that I really didn't like coming out of the posts of, of church people, and I'm not mad at, at, at those people, then maybe I'll make church a priority today and I'll gather with my people. Maybe that's, that's more what it looks like for a lot of folks who, who call themselves church people. And maybe that's the reason that so many people in our world, especially in our country in this day and age, we're not finding favor among the people. And there's not being added day by day those who are being saved because the, th- the things they see just aren't that attractive. Right? That's hard to hear, right? should be. It's hard for me to think about the things that motivate me, the things that drive me, the things that cause me to lean into the things of God. What is it that's causing me to lean in those ways? Um, Acts 2.42, understand, it's not simply just about the habits of the church. It's not just be an Acts 2 church, do these five things over and over again. And man, that's the church. That's what you do. You pray, you read the Bible, you take communion. This is the stuff that you do. You give your tithe. This is the stuff you do. And it makes you a great church. Really, Acts 2 is about a people who are spirit-led, they're devoted, they're unified, they're incredibly generous, and they're sincere. (laughs) I love the word there. It says, and they're sincere. They're glad and sincere in their giving and in their praising of God. That's what leaps off the page in the Acts 2 church. It's not what they did. It's what moved them. And if we struggle to find ourselves moved in the same way as them, the answer is to turn to the gospel. It's to turn and face Jesus. It's not to turn to the things to do. To write all these things down and just go, I'm just going to work a little harder. I'm going to take my prayer time from once a week to five times a week. I'm going to read the Bible in the Bible reading. I'm going to do more stuff and that will make me a better Christian and make us a better, more healthy church. no. That would just be doing, and we don't have a doing problem if we're not there. We have a heart problem, and a heart problem can only be healed by Jesus. If we don't find ourselves, even on on our hard days, knowing the presence of God is with us, being comforted, being helped, being led, being equipped and empowered by him to be used, that grace and healing would be brought into the world, we need to turn to Jesus. Jesus. Because the promise is still true of of Acts 2.21. For all who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, they will be saved. It's there for you. Have you turned to him? Have you received from him? Is he transforming your life and making you new? Can I pray for you this morning? Jesus, we come thanking you. That you, would, <laughs> that you would leave your home eternally in heaven, your, your home fully in glory, and you would come leaving glory and, and humbling yourself, living as a human. Philippians 2, that you, you didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to, but you let go of it. You emptied yourself, even to the point of death, Because you loved us, you fought for us, you died for us, and you raised that we wouldn't be stuck in our brokenness, but we could walk in the newness of life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would invigorate the hearts of your people in this church, in this town, in this state, in this country, and around the world. We're a part of this church that was born in Acts 2. We're a part of that church. And we want signs and wonders. We want to be in awe, and you're doing it. It's not that you're not doing it, it's that we're just so busy and our lives are so full of noise, we're missing it. Would you move in us that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to love the gospel work that you're doing in this world? Would you give us lives that it would be thrown down at the feet of Jesus. That we wouldn't just make it through the day, but we live lives that are, are joining in the mission of God. That we live beautiful lives that are mysterious and that find favor among the people. That your family would grow. That your praise would grow. That the kingdom would grow before the day that you return. And I pray for this church, Lord. Would you, would you fan a flame of fire that flickers within I don't want to be known as a church that was here and then was gone. I, I want to be known as a church that kept feeling a sense of awe. Many signs and wonders were taking place. And we were continually devoted to the things of God because we loved you. And that you did great things through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.